Well, hopefully you've been welcomed a number of times already, but let me add to it. Welcome to uh, the Capitol Church this morning. If you've been here uh, for this month, you know that we've been in a three-part series uh, for Christmas. Luke spoke on uh, week one and talked about how uh, love is illustrated through Christmas. And he talked about how what it took for uh, God of heaven to leave the throne room of heaven, to be born in a manger, to ultimately end his life with death on the cross. He spoke the second week about peace, how that God controlled the events of human history and the forces of nature to ensure that a baby was born in a moment in time and space that would bring to us salvation and the possibility really that we could have peace. And today, I'm going to close up as we look at the word joy. And what struck me as I was thinking about this is almost the sequence. In fact, we laugh because often when we think of uh, Christmas, we talk about love, joy, and peace, and we kind of reorganize that phrase. But I thought of a lot about how that love was what was, uh, that led God to send Jesus. It's peace that the birth of Jesus makes possible. And what really struck me as I was thinking about this, that joy is really the result, it's the outcome of all of those things. And today we want to talk about that. I think one of the things that would be true if that all of us in this room would agree that if I were to say that I think we live in a broken world, I think all of us would agree. In fact, at one time I actually uh, had, I was listing illustrations of a broken world, and I thought, you know what, I really don't need to take time to do that. I think everybody gets regardless of where you are on a political spectrum or a religious spectrum or, or any of those things, we, we see that the world is broken. But I think we also would all agree that beyond that, that in our world and in this room, there are broken people. We all really in this room come here today with some degree of brokenness. And it causes us to feel anxious at times. It causes us to feel ashamed, embarrassed, frustrated, sometimes disappointed. For some of us, that brokenness is not disappointed in other people. It's almost overwhelming disappointment in ourselves or a host of other emotions. Again, I just decided, you know what, I think you get the point of the list. And it sometimes can seem strange or maybe naive for us to talk about joy or at least talk about it too much at this time of year. Or maybe the brokenness that we see causes us to at least acknowledge that we ought to temper the joy a little bit because of what's going on in our world and going on in our lives. Or to see that any kind of exuberant kind of joy requires that everything in my life has to go well. So I could have that kind of joy this Christmas if, uh, you know, everyone in my life is healthy, everyone has a job, I've got more money in the bank than I maybe need, I just finished the semester, passed all my classes, the person I love loves me, I didn't get COVID yet. 
But what struck me as I was thinking about the broken world in which we live is that, that wor- the world that I live in and the brokenness of our lives is not unique to this time. It, it really was exactly the time of the birth of Jesus. In fact, when I was thinking about what I wanted to talk to us about today, what struck me is that how uh, amazing the connections were. And I went back and started to do both... Uh, in, uh, um, you know, uh, scholarly sort of about the Bible research, but just going to secular, looking back at the history and time, what was the world like when Jesus came and was born? I, I, I discovered things like it had been 400 years from when the first prophet, I mean, when a prophet spoke in those days, God would speak to a prophet, and a prophet would say, this is what the Lord is saying. It had been 400 years from the last time that took place until the birth of Jesus. So you can imagine that it sort of felt like we're living in this world, we're living in this culture that seems to be void of the voice of God. He seems to be silent. We don't seem to see sense that. It was a time when the people were living under the oppressive rule of Rome. Their personal liberties are being taken more and more and more away from them, and taxation is going higher and higher and higher. Even to think about the commonalities between the religious systems of the day of Jesus and the, and the way that the Jewish faith even was being fractured and And how there were all kinds of different groups that are trying to control the narrative of what spirituality is and how is it that we enter into a relationship with God. And and to think about there were groups, like some of you may have heard these groups, but there were the Pharisees and they were the people who pushed that spirituality, intimacy with God comes from the following of legalistic structures. It's about systems. It's about making sure we follow the traditions that have been always around or, or a group called the Sadducees that pushed for a spirituality that came from a greater willingness to accept contemporary practices and new ways and, and a new voice and a fresh voice from God. Or the Essenes who pushed that spirituality came from strictly living a, commu- a, a pure life in community with others and sought the overthrow of the government, but not in violent ways. Those were the zealots who pushed for spirituality can be gained by us gaining political power, and they would have been willing to do that through violence to overthrow Rome. I'm reading through that, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what, I think I could identify those exact sorts of groups today and their exact view of the government and their exact view of spirituality and how it is that we find and make our way to God. But even think about how Mary and Joseph were just normal, common people that we could identify with. Think about the reality that the birth of Christ came through a virgin. We sometimes hear that and think uh, that that's sort of a nice, cute sort of thing about Christmas. But think about what that was like for Mary and Joseph. Try to explain that to family. Here's a couple, and, and Mary is pregnant, and, and the Bible tells us that that was obviously a difficult uh, information for Joseph because he knows he's not had sex with Mary. 
And as far as he understood, there's really only one way to get pregnant. But if you're familiar with the Bible and you've read, you know that there's a phrase that often Jesus is referred to as the son of Joseph, which if you're not familiar with the culture, you can see that that may even be a compliment, like people saying to me that I'm the son of Bruce, and uh, that's sort of a cool thing. But what that really was is every time they said, aren't you the son of Joseph, what they were doing is sort of hearkening back to the, in their uh, uh, opinion, the circumstances of his birth and using it to belittle him. Luke talked about, uh, in one of his previous messages, about the census. And again, we can read through that and says, well, there was a census being taken without understanding the implications, the considerable imposition that was to Mary and Joseph. And not just Mary and Joseph, but anybody who lived in the Roman world. But to think about the poverty that Jesus was born into with Mary and Joseph. They didn't have a, he was royalty, but he was born in a stable. And again, shepherds seemed like a really cool thing. But in that culture, shepherds would have been the lowest of low occupation, which speaks volumes about a God who decided that the people he would announce the birth of the child to was the lowest of low demeaning occupations in that culture. They would be the ones who would announce it to the world, and not only that, but they would be the first people to lay eyes on that Savior. I've often thought about how amazing it was that God, even with Mary and Joseph, who have a baby, and if you know you had a baby, the, one of the things you love is for people to come and for you to introduce this baby. Imagine the senses you're away from all family, and God makes arrangements for a group of people to come who can't wait to see your child. And it's sort of with all those things in mind that I want to go back and read what may be familiar to most of you. Some of you may be the first time you've heard it, the Christmas story. And what I want to do is I want to give special attention to the angel. And if you're familiar with the Christmas story, you know that the birth of Jesus was announced by an angel and he announced it to the shepherds. But the angel attached the word that we're going to look at, joy. And what he, I want you to listen to what he said. And then what I want to do is sort of give you sort of an understanding of why what he says is significant to us. So if you have a Bible, uh, either a hard one or maybe I have it on your phone. If not, you can just listen, but turn to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading the Christmas story again um, in this service. I think we've done it a couple of times through this series, but read it again. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and let's look at what the angel said and then try to uh, pull out some significance for it. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first sentence that took place while Cyrenius was governor of Syria and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. 
While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. Now, keep in mind that what's fascinating about this angel is an angel according to the Bible, was a created being, and he was created in, in, in the beginning of uh, human history in the book of Genesis. So this is a created being that has been alive since creation up until this point. So he has observed the progress of humanity from Adam and Eve until this point. And if we were to go through the Bible's record of human history, you can understand that this angel would have witnessed unbelievable devastation in the world. And his perspective is that in, as he looks through that, he says, with all that in mind, all he has seen and heard and watched, he says that this baby is going to be born, and he doesn't just say it's joy, he says great joy for everyone, all of humanity. Now, it begs the question, why would that have been so important to him? And I want to give you two reasons. First of all, I think that he saw it as joy because he understood what our brokenness involves. He had seen it, as I said. He had watched it in two specific areas. He would have understood that our brokenness as humans involves relationships with each other. We could go back to the book of Genesis and, and look at creation. The first example of this brokenness that's recorded in the Bible was Adam and Eve, if you're familiar with that story. And you know, uh, if you're familiar, that God's created Adam and Eve. They lived in a garden. They experienced the presence of God. They experienced all that God had designed humanity to experience. God did give them one command, and he told them uh, that they were not to eat of uh, fruit from a particular tree, and they did. They decided, and this is the temptation that comes into all our lives, that God is not a God who loves you, and is inviting you into something. If you've been around the church, you've heard Luke say often that every command in Scripture is an invitation. It's a God who created humanity and understands how us as humans can best 
live all that humanity has to offer us. The emotions that God created, the experience and commands aren't to limit us, they're to invite us in so that we make the kinds of choices that can live. And Satan, for the first time, and continues to do that, he came to them and said, ah, but, but you maybe need to think, maybe God is, doesn't want you to do that because there's something that he doesn't want you to experience. And they conclude that God does not have their best interest in mind, and God has created a rule and expectations to make their life more difficult or keep themselves from them. And so they choose to violate God's word. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, why would that be the first thing that they did after they sinned? I think it's because immediately what happened then is their choice to sin brought brokenness into their lives, and what they realized is that they began to think thoughts that had never entered their mind towards each other. Thoughts about, I wonder what she or he thinks when they look at me. And probably the reason that they thought negative thoughts and wondered, maybe Adam thought, I wonder what Eve is thinking, is because Adam himself was thinking things that he thought to himself, if she's thinking what I'm thinking, I better go get some clothes on. And throughout the Bible and throughout human history, all of us understand that one of the aspects of our brokenness is our relationships with each other, that evil thoughts and behaviors and intentions towards each other. Throughout the Bible and today, we see examples of this in insecurity and jealousy and hatred and racism and lust and all manner of perverted thoughts towards each other are all part of the brokenness that's a part of our world because of our sin. Our brokenness influences the relationship between men and women. I don't know, at least in my world, there seems to be greater and greater confusion about those relationships, whether it be abuse. You know, how does, how does a culture get to the point where we even need to highlight a Me Too movement, that somehow those kinds of actions couldn't be so uh, horrific that we couldn't even possibly doing that because of the brokenness that comes as a part of our sin and, and the way we respond to each other and see each other. But that brokenness didn't just influence the angel understood, just didn't influence man's relationship with each other, it also broke his relationship with God. And we see in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Their sin caused their relationship to change in the fact that they became separated from God. And again, that's not new. I'm sure in this room, all of us at times sense that separation. So we don't pray. We don't read our Bibles. We don't attend church. And why don't we? Because we feel uncomfortable. 
there's something in that relationship. I long, we long for connection and peace with God, but we feel so separated from him, and, and we don't know what to do. But the brokenness in the very beginning and still today, that only caused us to become separated from God. It banished us from his presence. There was an intimacy of the presence that they had. And it says in Genesis, so the Lord God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And they had to work the ground in which he had taken. After he drove man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and and a flashing sword to go back and forth so they couldn't get back into the garden. And again, how many of us sense that today in this room, the banishment? We pray, but when we do, it feels so hollow and empty, like we're talking into space. We read our Bibles, but it seems so confusing. It's like confusing words in a page, and we read and we wonder and we think, I, I don't even know what I just read. Or we come to church, but nothing happens, and we don't sense his presence, or we don't hear his voice. We sing, but our hearts aren't moved. And again, we long to hear from God. We long to sense his presence. But we recognize that not only are we separated, but it's, it's as though we're not even in the same space together. And the angel would not only seen this and recognized this and understood what the brokenness did in the relationship of Adam and Eve with each other, he would have seen that same scenario played out over thousands of years in the lives of millions and billions of people. As their brokenness impacted human relationships with each other. And he would have also understood how it impacted their relationship with God, that a God had, who had wanted and desired intimacy with humanity, their brokenness caused them to be separated from him and banished from his presence. And more than any other created being, I believe the angel would have understand, understood that without an intervention of God himself, man would not be able to do anything about that brokenness. In fact, he watched humanity throughout time up to that point continue to try to do something. Man recognized their brokenness. They created religious systems they tried all kinds of things, sacrifices, and, and trying to somehow, they recognized the brokenness and try to do something about the brokenness, but they couldn't. And here's where the message of Christmas comes and why the angel knew that the news of the birth would bring Jesus. Because he understood that without an intervention of God, the brokenness could not be healed. And guess what the birth of the child was? The intervention of that God. You see, without a fix, man's relationship with each other, without the intervention of God, man's relationship with each other will forever be broken. Man's relationship with God would forever be broken, and God knew that if the problem was going to be solved, God would need to provide the solution that man could not provide. Apart from a Messiah who would save them and restore them and their world, it would forever be broken. 
The angel watched and understood, as I mentioned, that even in religious systems could not somehow correct the brokenness that had come to humanity. And the birth of Jesus provided the solution to humanity's brokenness. It was Jesus who was born so that his death and the price he paid on the cross could restore the brokenness. His resurrection defeated sin. His death, death and resurrection provided for us an opportunity to have a new life and an opportunity to have our brokenness healed and so that we could begin to heal the human relationships in our relationship with God. So no wonder the angels said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all the people today in the town of David. A savior has been born to you who is the Messiah, the Lord. Because of the birth of Jesus, you and I are now living in a time where it's possible to be restored in our relationship to God and our relationship to each other. In fact, to me, I've thought about this. I was, I was writing my conclusion and thinking about two types of people that were here today. And it struck me that there are some of us here today who understand what I'm talking about not just from the brokenness, but also from the restoration of brokenness. Which is why to us, there are times when we read the scriptures, there are times when we sing where we become overwhelmed because we sense his presence. We sense his peace. There are times when we begin to enjoy the fruits of those broken relationships being healed. And can I challenge those of us who have experienced what Jesus' death and resurrection provided to then the joy and excitement of what the birth of Jesus communicates to us, can I encourage all of us to make our lives about demonstrating and communicating that message to a world filled with broken people like us? You see, I've not arrived. There are Sundays where I come into this place and sense my own brokenness and sense my separation. And for me, the sad part of that is because I've felt the healing. And yet I've made choices throughout my week that have caused that to make me realize that, that my total Absolute brokenness. I mean, uh, uh, healing has not taken place yet. It's a process that I continue to, to be on. But I want to also encourage those of you whose lives and relationships continue to be remain broken. That today I want you to hear that the message of Christmas that as a baby was born, who would ultimately die and pay the price for your sin to enable your broken relationship with God to be healed and to enable your broken relationship with each other to be healed and restore that so that you can experience all that God wanted you, his presence, to experience a, a, a level of human relationships that come when 
Two people are, are in a relationship with God and, and what happens in a human capacity as we do that. Today would be the opportunity for you to recognize that and, and become a follower of Jesus and, and see that take place. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for the privilege that's been mine over the last several weeks to think about this topic. And it's easy for me to think about people that will be sitting in the auditorium and hear my voice and how this will impact them and what they need to hear and then realize that there's a reason why I went over this over and over again, heard it so many more times over the last couple of weeks than anybody in this room, and that's because it's a reminder that you wanted to give to me. But I believe you wanted me to understand again and anew and afresh the overwhelming joy and reality that the God of the universe would look down at my brokenness and realize that there's nothing I could do about my brokenness. And so you chose for Jesus to be born, to ultimately live his life, to die on a cross in my place so that the separation that I felt that I could experience with you and the brokenness in my relationship with other people could be healed. And might that reality cause me to continue to pursue you with, with all that I have. And might it motivate me to love and want other broken people like me to be able to find their brokenness to be healed. And I pray for anybody here today that comes in here and, and doesn't need to be reminded of brokenness that's healed, but presently finds themselves in the midst of the brokenness that today would be the day that they would allow the work of God to come into their lives so that they can, their lives can be healed, the brokenness in their relationship with you and each other. And that this Christmas season would be the season that they began to new and afresh understand what it is you've done for them and that as a result, they would have the joy that you want them to have. In Jesus' name, amen.